Today, uh, we're going to launch a new series called uh, Choose Joy. And, uh, you know, the reality is most of us look for happiness. And some people we find happiness, but happiness is kind of fleeting. It, it comes and goes depending on our circumstances, right? And there's got to be something better than that. Well, there is. It's joy. And uh, it's something, joy is something deep and meaningful, and we're going to take a good hard look at that. It, it looks past our circumstances to what's really, really important. So uh, so I think it's going to be a helpful series. I think it's going to be a fun series and uh, helpful not only for, for us who are here, but helpful and encouraging for our, our friends, our neighbors, coworkers, things like that. And so I'm letting you know about it now so you can be in prayer and invite uh, those people. Well, I, I, we don't use the word invite anymore. You can uh, bring them with you. That's better than inviting, right? Bring your friends, bring your neighbors, bring your coworkers, whoever, to, uh, to choose joy, and then take them out to lunch afterwards. Talk about what you, what you learned. So uh, that's coming up next Sunday. One other thing I want to share with you about that series is uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians has a lot to say about joy, and uh, I want each of us uh, to, I'm going to challenge us to just read through the book of Philippians uh, in preparation for this. Uh, You might be surprised to learn, as I was a little surprised to learn, it only takes 14 minutes to read the whole book of Philippians, 14 minutes, right? So you could read it every single day between now and the end of the series, and just just think about how much, uh, how immersed you'd be in God's Word, if you're reading it every single day, the same book over and over, 14 minutes, that's all it takes. So uh, I'd lo- I encourage you to do that. I've already started doing that, and it's helped me, so I know you'll be uh, joyful if you do that as well. And uh, a 14-minute investment that pays dividends into eternity, you can't go wrong with that. Even President Trump can't offer that to you, right? So that's what's coming next Sunday. Uh, as many of you know, I spent the early part of my career as an actor, if you didn't know that, that's, that's true. And in the acting world, it's really unlike anything else that you can imagine. Uh, it's a different world. It's, uh, it's a creative job, a creative environment, but it's not creative in the way that, that most people think. Because when you're an actor, somebody gives you words to say, right? You've got a, a writer puts together a script, they tell you what to say. And there's a director that, that tells you what to do. So uh, as an actor, you're really not creating in the way that the average person thinks because there's somebody telling you what to say and somebody telling you what to do. And most of the time as an actor, that's fine. That's great. I mean, most actors are not known for their smarts. So this is a good thing, right? You know? but, uh, but sometimes you get that script, you get those words, and uh, it doesn't make any sense. You think, why would I say this here? Why would I do that in this moment, it, it doesn't make any sense. And, and in those kinds of moments, every actor has the same question. Every actor needs to know, what's my motivation, right? Uh, why would I say this here? Why would I do this now? And, and what reason do I have to act this way? What's my motivation? But once an actor has that fundamental question answered, then he or she can go on with the work and bring about something really beautiful, but without an answer to that fundamental question, that motivation question, then everything kind of grinds to a halt. Well, in our spiritual lives, it's, it's very often the same thing. Sometimes the thing that God wants us to say or wants us to do doesn't make any sense. Why would I do that now? And God, if you really want me to, to talk to this person, I, I don't understand. What's my motivation? Sometimes we need to get that fundamental question answered before we can move forward. And this morning as we draw our series, This Is Us 
to a close. Uh, I pray that it's been beneficial for each of us. You know, every pastor has a goal for their sermon, things that they would, how they want it to be received, things they want to happen. You know, sometimes it's just putting something into practice. Sometimes it's, it's renewing our minds, thinking differently about a, a topic or an issue. Sometimes it's really a transformed life, really changing behaviors around a certain truth, you know, stopping doing something or starting doing something, that sort of a thing. But this morning, as we, as we wrap up our series and as we observe communion, one of my goals is simply that we would just experience deep worship for God. And uh, we're not going to explore a lot of new ideas. We're not going to be challenged to think about things in a different way. I think the things that we'll share this morning are not going to be surprising thoughts or new thoughts for us. But they're ideas that are, that are easy to, to overlook, easy to set aside. And, and yet being reminded of these things is very helpful for, for all of us. It, it helps recenter us. It helps draw us into a deeper sense of awe, a deeper sense of worship of God. And so that's one of my goals for our time together this morning. And and reminder is probably a good word for us today, because as we finish our study of 1 John, uh, we're going to look at a passage that is a reminder. Uh, one of the things John does throughout this book is he repeats himself. Uh, first, he repeats what Jesus has said, and, and then he even repeats himself a few times. And we've said that, that John's writing to this church that's confused, that's, that needs to be reminded of what's most important, and he does that. He reminds them uh, several times about what's most important. It's almost as if he's saying, hey, I know things are, are challenging for you, but you know, just, just work on loving one another. And oh, you, know, you should probably fix this, you should probably address that, but, but love one another. And I mean, you, you really want to think about that and you need to stop doing this, but, but love one another. Oh, I almost forgot. Love one another. I mean, that's the book in a nutshell, really. And, uh, and John repeats these key ideas sometimes three or more times. It's very repetitive. And, and it's part of the reason I'd say my goal is, is not to introduce a new idea to you this morning because we're going to be looking at a passage that's one of these repetitions, one of these reminders. <coughs> Excuse me. And so it won't surprise you the way you look at the world. It won't, uh, you know, make you totally change the way you're, you're acting necessarily. It's going to be one of these, yeah. That's a good reminder. I needed to hear that kind of a sermons because that's what John does in the book of 1 John. And so we're going to be spending our time in 1 John chapter 4, if you want to open your Bible there. And it's a passage that's very similar to what we talked about last week. If you were here last week, we read in 1 John 3, we read a command, love one another, something that John repeats. And last week, we talked about the fact that, that uh, in that command, uh, John's just repeating what Jesus taught. He taught his followers to love one another. In fact, Jesus even repeats that to his followers. He says it three different times. And so John tells us that last week in chapter 3, but that's not even the first time he mentions it. He mentions it in chapter 2, and then just in case you missed it, he mentions it again in the next book, Second John. So it's, it's really not a, a, a bad idea. It's not unwise for us to, to revisit this idea, to talk about it again. In fact, in the passage we're going to read today, John mentions it three different times. He tells us to love one another three different times. It's very important, obviously. It's very uh, worthy of deep consideration. And I hope that it draws us uh, not only to put that thought into action, to actually love one another, but, but as I said, I hope that it will draw us into a deeper sense of worship of God. And, uh, you know, because just like an actor, sometimes the things that we're supposed to do don't make any sense. We need to know, if I'm supposed to do this, what's my motivation? And that's what we're talking about this morning. I've titled this message, The Motivation of Us, because what John tells us this morning is that God's love is the reason 
that we love one another. He says it almost exactly in this chapter. We love because he first loved us. That's our motivation. And there's actually three different things that John lays out that serve as motivation for us to love one another. So I want us to explore these uh, motivations, and, and ultimately I want us to use these to put them into practice, to actually love one another. So let's start by simply just reading the passage together. First John 4, starting in uh, verse 7, you'll see it on the screen as well. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. So as we explore this passage, I want to ask you to do something. I want you to, to think about a person in your life that's easy for you to love. You know, maybe it's your spouse or one of your kids, something like that. Uh, but just, just hold that person in your mind, a person who's easy to love. And then I want you to think about a person who's maybe a little bit harder to love. Uh, hopefully it's not your spouse, but maybe one of your other kids, you know. Uh, maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody in this room. I, you know, just think about that person. Somebody's a little bit harder to love. And then... I want you to also think about a person that is in your life, maybe in your past, that feels like you can't love them. They're impossible for you to love, right? Just hold those names, hold those faces in your mind as we work our way through this passage. Because here's this command, this repeated command, love one another. And in this passage, John gives us motivation why we should bother, why we should focus on loving one another, even people who are hard to love. And the first reason, he sums it up very beautifully, the first motivating reason is that God is love. One of the attributes of God's character is love. And uh, theologians who think hard about this kind of thing, they talk about God in terms of his attributes, in other words, the, the characteristics that make up God. I mean, just like you and I have different attributes, you know, hair color, height, sense of humor, whatever, all these things that make us distinctive. Well, in the same way, God has attributes, things that make him distinctive, that are unique to him, what makes God, God, right? And, and God's attributes are kind of divided into two basic categories, what we call uh, communicable and what we call incommunicable. And, and the incommunicable attributes are those attributes that he doesn't share with any other being. Um, they're, they're totally unique to God. For example, uh, we say that God is omniscient, that he knows everything. Well, that's not something that any other being uh, shares. I mean, unless you're a teenager, you don't know everything, Right? Uh, so that's unique to God, one of the attributes that's, that's incommunicable, unique to him. Uh, 
another one is, is his omnipresence. God is everywhere. Again, that's not something that you and I are capable of, unique to him. And the other category is what we call communicable attributes. These are attributes that God does share with the world. Uh, uh, for an example would be God's justice, right? You and I are capable of, of pursuing justice, of fighting for justice, for right and wrong. I mean, God's better at it, but we're able to do it in, uh, in, in a certain measure, right? Uh, another example is love. Uh, love is one of God's attributes, but he's, he's made it possible for you and I to be able to, to share that attribute, to, to love in that same manner. In fact, the whole world wouldn't even know what love is if it wasn't for God, for God's character. His, he is love, and his love is something that he communicates to us. Uh, he's graciously shared a part of himself with us, with the world. Uh, one uh, theologian describes the love of God as his eternal self-givingness to the world. It's a beautiful way to think about it, isn't it? So, so this first motivation that John gives us for us to love one another is just that God himself is love. And love is, is kind of a unique attribute of God because it's not just one of the things that makes up God. Love seems to, to color or affect all the different attributes of God. It, 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 when we say God is love, it's not just saying one of the things that God is is love. It, we really mean that, that everything that God does is loving. Uh, so when God executes justice, for example, he does it in love. When God creates, he does so as an act of love. And, and God's love colors everything about God. It has an effect on everything about God. It's it's almost too difficult to comprehend how much love is sourced in God because uh, God is, is not only the source of all the love that we experience in the world, but, but God is, is, is love in his inmost being. So, so recognizing that, that God is love, that's our first motivation for us to be able to love one another. And the second motivation uh, for us to love one another comes right in verse 10. I told you in this book, John does a lot of reminding, and also in this passage in particular. And not only does he remind the church of things that Jesus has taught, but he also reminds them of things that he himself has already taught them. There's this repeated phrase that pops up throughout the book, and it's, it's an indication when it comes that, that John's reminding them of some things he's previously taught them. And we see it in verse 10. John starts off with this phrase, this is love. And uh, throughout the book, that phrase, this is love, is, indicates something of a, of a test of how we live out love. For example, John says, this is love that we keep his commands. Or he says, this is love that we walk in obedience. It's a little bit of a, a test of, of how you know what love is. Or, or like we talked about last week, this is how we know what love is. Same basic phrase. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So, so when John uses this same phrase, this is love, here in, in 1 John 4.10, we're expecting that he's going to give us another one of these tests, another way that we can look at our lives and determine if we're really uh, measuring up to the standard that Jesus sets. But, uh, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he gives us a second motivation, a second reason that we should love one another. Look at verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, John switches things up here. The test of love is not in us, not that we loved God, but that God loved us. Love originates from God. As we said, God is love. 
We wouldn't have any capacity to love. We wouldn't even know what love is if not for God, if he hadn't loved us first. So the love that we have to give one another, it's not our own love. It's not not motivated by us, our own efforts being put forth. I mean, that kind of love would not last long. If, if the only love we had to show was just sourced in ourselves, there'd be a lot less of us here. It'd be too hard. We'd just give up, right? Because we're all those people that are hard to love, right? But the beautiful thing is that it's not our love. It's not that we love God, that we somehow uh, earn the right to be loved by other people or earn some ability to love other people well. It's not that our dedication to God motivates us to loving others well or to receiving love. No, no, no. It's just the opposite. It's because God loved us. God is love, and he's the source of our love. He's the motivation. He's the empowerment for us to love other people. It's a beautiful example of this truth from the life of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, maybe you're familiar with the story of Jim Elliot, a missionary to Ecuador. He and his family partnered with uh, four other families, and their goal was to reach this uh, Wadoni tribe in, in the remote jungle of Ecuador. And the tribe was known for being very hostile to outsiders. So the missionaries, they were wise. They decided they would fly their plane over the tribal land and drop down gifts. They did this several times, and the Wildoni people were very excited to receive the gifts, and they even sent gifts back through a a bucket attached to the airplane. And, and, And they saw some good progress, these missionaries did. Finally, they decided they would land their plane and make face to face contact for the first time with the tribe. And within a few minutes of the of the plane landing, they began to exchange more gifts with the Wildoni people, and things were going great, and then suddenly the uh, Waldoni, they're known as Alka or savage by the neighboring tribes. And they took their spears and they stabbed and killed all five of these missionaries. And now you think, well, what does this have to do with love, right? Well, once their families realized that that plane wasn't coming back, they knew that they had a choice to make. And they chose love. They went back and ministered to that tribe, the very same tribe that had killed their husbands and their fathers, not because they loved God, but because God loved them. That was their motivation. They saw themselves in those tribesmen. They knew that they were capable of the same sin, the same violence, the same anger. They knew that they were no different fundamentally. God love, his love loves other people even when they don't deserve it, especially when they don't deserve it, because none of us deserve it. We're those people who are hard to love. We're maybe even those people who are impossible to love, and yet God loved us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John says in the very next verse, since God so loved us, We ought to love one another. There it is again, a reminder that our love is sourced in God and that our love just reflects God's love for us in Christ. We love others not because they've earned it, not because we've earned it, but we love because God loves. We let his love flow through us. So our love doesn't always look very smart. It doesn't always look very safe. Like these missionary families, they went back to that tribe. They had no reason to think that they wouldn't be killed. I mean, why would they think that their fate would be any different, right? But they went back to this tribe with with anger, with grief, rightfully so. 
It didn't make any sense. But they were motivated and they loved. They showed the tribe the love that God had shown to them. And the tribe saw that and they responded. Many of them came to faith in Christ. And one of these boys, Steve Saint, was, was even adopted by the very tribesmen who had killed his father. It doesn't make any sense. So we love each other because God is love, and we love each other because God loves us. There's a third reason, a third motivation. We love each other because God wants to love through us. As we said, God demonstrated his love in sending his son Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. But God's love doesn't stop there. Look at the very next verse, 1 John 4, verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So God's love is demonstrated in Jesus, but it's also demonstrated in us. We love one another because that's how God shows love to the world, through us. The verse tells us no one's ever seen God, but they see the evidence of who God is through us, through our actions in the world, through our actions with each other. God is love, and he shows the world that truth through us. I mean, think about it. God, could, if he's as powerful as we say he is, he could use any kind of means to communicate with the world. I mean, he could use uh, an audible voice from heaven, or he could make the clouds shape into words, whatever. He could do whatever he wants, but he chooses to show himself to the world through us. No one has ever seen God, and yet we could see him each and every week through the way that we love one another. And this verse tells us that God's love is made complete in us. The way we love one another somehow completes God's love for the world. I told you that one of my motivations is to draw us into deeper worship, and this statement does that for me. The the fact that you and I could do something that brings about completion to God's love, that's amazing. God shows the world his love through us. And this happens because of God's Spirit in us. Verse 13 is another example of this repeated clause that John uses. This is how we know we live in him and he in us. There's another moment where John gives us this demonstration of love. And the verse goes on. It says, this is how we know he has given us of his Spirit. For those of us who are believers in Jesus, we've turned towards him as the forgiver of our sins, then God has given us his Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. That's how we're able to show God's love. That's our motivation. God's Spirit is at work through us, and God uses us to show his love to the world, even people who are hard to love, even people that we don't love yet. So this motivation for us to love one another is ultimately sourced in God. God is love, and he motivates us to love one another. It's, it's his love in us, his love that goes through us. And so loving one another is, is not as challenging as it seems because God is ultimately the one doing the work. We don't have to depend just upon ourselves. We love because he first loved us, verse 19. So that should motivate us to deeper worship, and it should motivate us to love one another well, even when it doesn't make sense. So I hope what we've talked about this morning has encouraged you. It's just a reminder from John that we should love one another because God is love. We love one another because God loves us, 
And we love one another because that's how God shows his love to the world, through us. And in this reminder, I hope that we're motivated even more to share God's love with, with each other and with the world. And uh, with this reminder, as I said, one of my goals, just to draw us into deeper worship. And in just a moment, we'll observe communion, and it gives us a chance to put action to that sense of worship, a way to respond to what God has done. Because even Jesus himself understood that we would need reminding. We would need to take time to, to recenter ourselves, to realign ourselves with what's most important, with what Jesus has done for us. And on the night before Jesus was arrested, he dined with his disciples. And beyond just sharing a meal, he used that as an opportunity to teach them, to teach them a way to commemorate what he was about to do, to die on their behalf. And it was at this same meal that Jesus washed their feet as an act of love, and he encouraged them then to love one another. And as they shared this meal together, Jesus prepared them to commemorate what was coming next, the next act of sacrificial love, his death on the cross. And so as we partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, I want us to allow this just to remind us of what Jesus has done for us. And I want it to encourage us to show that same sacrificial love to one another. So I'm going to invite the men who are helping serve to come forward at this time.